This is Taekwon Lewis. You're listening to Dash to the Draft on Sports Crunch. Welcome back to Sports Crunch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromelo, and this is part two of our Dash to the Draft series for 2018. When it comes to evaluating prospective NFL quarterbacks in this day and age, I'm often reminded of what Winston Churchill once said of the then Soviet Union. Quote, it is a riddle, wrapped in a mystery, inside an enigma, unquote. It has always been a difficult task to find that safe, surefire quarterback prospect like a Peyton Manning or Andrew Luck, and the proliferation of spread, option-based offenses in college football has made that task even harder, and thus the riddle even more puzzling. While the 2018 quarterback draft class is sizzling with potential, it lacks that sure thing. And as noted NFL draft analyst Matt Miller of Bleach Report suggested a few weeks back, he doesn't remember a quarterback class with such a high ceiling that has also had such serious flaws. And joining us tonight to address these quarterbacks and the intrigue, flaws, and mysteries surrounding them is one of the best quarterback analysts in the business. He is Mark Schofield of InsideThePineLine.com, and it was a pleasure meeting him down at Saucy Q in Mobile, Alabama during the Senior Bowl, and it is a pleasure to welcome him to the program for the very first time. How are you, Mark? David, that was an incredible intro. I have to say, as a history buff, that is the first time anybody's dropped a Churchill quote on a podcast, and I am awed right now. Tremendous, tremendous intro there, my friend. Uh, uh, you're too kind, and I partially owe that to Fareed Zakaria, who used that quote in the intro to his documentary on Putin last year. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. yeah, so, well, moving away from politics and back to football, let's talk about this intriguing crop of quarterbacks, beginning with the guy many expect to be selected by the Cleveland Browns with the first overall pick, and that is Sam Darnold. Three major draft gurus, uh, Mike Mayock, Dane Brugler, and Lance Zierlein, to be specific, have him as the top-rated quarterback in this class at this time. While there's definitely a lot to like about Darnold, his intangibles, accuracy, mobility, etc. definitely stand out. His sloppy mechanics and persistent turnover problems leave many believing he needs to spend his entire rookie season on the bench. What does the tape say to you about Sam Darnold? Is he a day one starter? Does he need to ride the pine in 2018? Or does the truth lie somewhere in between? You know, David, that's a great question, and I think as is the case with most questions like this, the truth does lie somewhere in between. From where I sit, Darnold certainly has the type of ceiling and the type of mental acumen, the aggression, the sort of gunslinger mentality where he could be an extremely effective quarterback. But like you said, there are mechanical flaws that he does need to work out. Many people focus, David, on the upper body mechanics, the long loopy delivery that he has. And while that is something of an issue because there are times when it leads to turnovers, there are times it might lead to defenders being able to read and break on his throws, he has a surprisingly quick release all things considered even though he has that little bit of loop to it and Darnold is a very effective quarterback at throwing with anticipation so he's not waiting for guys to come open he's throwing them open so the ball still comes out fairly quickly so I'm not that concerned about his windup and he set out in Indianapolis that he's not working on that as much as he is his lower body David which I do have a concern with because there are times when he opens his left hip too early. There are times when he sort of steps in the bucket. And what that does is it impacts accuracy. It takes away from his velocity. Now, having said that, I don't think he's somebody that needs to sort of sit and refine things because you sit and refine things, you don't really get a chance to work through these types of things. Mechanics and throw in motion and lower body footwork, those are things you have to 
refine and prove by doing on the field. And so I, I think with Darnold, he's somebody that will probably in the best case scenario, I think, take sort of a Mitchell Trubisky type path where maybe he doesn't start right away, but he starts sometime early in the season, somebody, you know, week six or something like that. I think that will be a good time to start him. And the other thing to remember with him is he's pretty new to playing the quarterback position. He didn't play quarterback until his sophomore year of high school. He started as a linebacker in high school. And so a lot of the other quarterbacks that we've seen have sort of mechanical issues like Blake Bortles for example who've been playing quarterback much longer it's harder for them to unlearn that because it's so ingrained in who they are I think Darnold is a bit more raw so to speak so it should be easier for him to refine what he needs to refine and final point on him he chose not to throw at the combine. A lot of people, including Mike Mayhawk, who, as you Mike Mayhawk, who, as you said, David has him as QB one, thought it was a missed opportunity for him because he had a chance to go out and compete. But I think it was a smart decision because he is working on those lower body mechanics with Jordan Palmer. He's trying to get that footwork down. I think it was smart for him to sort of wait, throw at a scripted pro day where he's going to be comfortable throwing at guys he knows in an environment he's familiar with, and that will make his mechanics that much more refined on his pro day. Yes, and I completely agree with your point about him uh, having a Mitchell Trubisky-type experience his rookie season because all signs currently point to the Browns, as Peter King noted this morning, signing uh, A.J. McCarron in free agency to a Glennon-esque-type contract and them probably drafting Darnold at one will uh, allow Darnold to uh, sit behind the bench um, for like a five weeks until uh, the Browns determine they've seen enough of McCarron. So I definitely see that happening. And now moving on to the quarterback, many feel has the safest floor in this draft, and that is Josh Rosen. While Rosen's footwork, accuracy, pocket presence, and touch are easy to fall in love with, many scouts are concerned he lacks the requisite passion for football. Do you think he helped ease those concerns this past week at the Combine? Yeah, David. And to me, Rosen is quarterback one. To me, Rosen is the cleanest guy mechanically. He's the most schematically diverse quarterback in this group. He can run almost any offensive system. I'm pretty confident that he's basically plug and play. He can be a day one starter regardless of the environment. The biggest issue for for Josh Rosen, and this is something that I wrote a couple of weeks back, was can an NFL organization can a front office can an ownership group be comfortable making them the face of the franchise given some of these sort of anonymous scout type red flags that we've heard bandied about around him and i think the biggest and as i wrote the biggest you know spot in indianapolis for him was at the press conference was at the podium itself so he could put you know his face out there put his perspectives out there and basically try to assuage any fears that ownership groups might have about him and about his passion for the game of football and to me all the work that i do is basically on the field film related i'm not trying to dive into you know the medical stuff the the you know, they're off the field stuff, things like that, because I can't really sit down and evaluate these guys. I can't really sit down with Josh Rosen and pick his brain about, you know, what he likes to do outside of football and his interests outside of football and see if he truly has a passion for the game. But in just the stuff that I've seen, it seems to me like a lot of it's really just overblown. He's just, you know, a wise kid for his age who understands that, for example, when he said that he doesn't care how soon he gets drafted, he just wants to find the right fit for him, some people quickly overreacted to that and said, oh, you know, he doesn't want to be competitive, he doesn't want to compete, doesn't want to get drafted by Cleveland, doesn't want to be in that environment. 
Whereas when we're all sitting down and doing our mock drafts and putting together scouting reports on these guys, one of the first things we write up is the potential scheme fit because we want a quarterback and a offense and a system to mesh well. And that's all he was getting at. And so I think a lot of the concern, again, this is just from the outside looking in, is somewhat overblown with him. I think he, he's just a smart young kid that has, you know, some views about things and he has a view about the world and he has a mindset he's not afraid to speak his mind but at the end of the day he's still a football player and all the other ucla players that were in indianapolis colton miller for example had nothing but rave reviews about him i think he's gonna satisfy teams from a leadership standpoint and again if it were me based on everything i've seen if i needed a quarterback that's the guy i'd go for very full-throated endorsement of josh rosa there and for good reasons indeed mark and I know you don't go into the medicals, but let's talk just a tad bit about medicals here, but also integrate mm -hmm. some film in here. Another key red flag about Rosa that we have mentioned on this program before is durability. Mike Mayock, during the Combine broadcast, compared him to Sam Bradford and suggested that he is concerned Rosen will have a hard time staying healthy because of his inability to escape the pocket. And this is going to be a two-part question here. Number one. Do you think the comparison to Sam Bradford is warranted? And B, do you share those concerns that he might not be able to hold up because of his inability to escape the pocket? Yeah, David, those are certainly two questions that he's going to have to address as we go through this process. And the medical stuff is going to be an issue. And that's a situation where as an organization, you're going to have to have the trust in your doctors that, you know, do the evaluations, do the medical checks on him, you know, that he's going to be able to you know, that the shoulder injury is fine, that the concussion injury, and because he has had two concussions, that, you know, there are no fears from that standpoint. Because again, if you're going to draft a quarterback in the top five of the class, you're drafting him to be on the field. You're not drafting him to be, you know, in the medical room. You're not drafting him to be in the training room. And so you want to make sure that he's going to be able to hold up to the NFL type of pounding that he might get. Now, the interesting with Rosen is while he might not have the sort of athleticism of a Josh Allen, of a Sam Darnold, of, of obviously a Lamar Jackson, we have to remember that athleticism and the ability to run and be a runner and transformed from passer to runner is not the only way to avoid hits in the pocket. It's the, not the only way to sort of stay upright in the pocket and protect yourself back there. You know, nobody would ever confuse Tom Brady, for example, with an athletic quarterback like a Marcus Mariota or a Blake Bortles or anybody like that. But the reason that Tom Brady has been able to stay so effective and play to such at such a high level at such a stage in his career, you know, he's almost 41 now, is because of his footwork and his ability to evade pressure in the pocket and his ability to move around. And so while Josh Rosen isn't going to bring that sort of run-pass option RPO type game, you know, to an NFL team, he's not somebody who's going to build that type of offense around. This is a guy with great footwork. He was a you know elite type tennis player. That's what he attributes his footwork to. So he'll have that ability similar to a Tom Brady, where he can slide and move around in the pocket. He's not going to scramble for long yardage chunk type plays, but it's those little things where you feel that edge pressure and you step up or you slide to one way or the other that allows you to sort of avoid those hits. So that's how Rosen's going to be able to stay healthy in the NFL using his footwork to escape pressure. I understand where Mayock's coming from with the Bradford concerns and the comparison, and I understand why he's making it. But I think Rosen's footwork, not his pure athleticism, what's going, is what's going to allow him to avoid those hits in the NFL. That is a very, very excellent point. And not just the footwork, the quick releases Peyton Manning himself showed that allowed him to play uh, even after that neck injury as well. Yeah, David, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, the ultimate sort of, you know, equalizer when it comes to face and pressure 
is getting the ball out of your hands quickly. And that's something the Patriots have done with Tom Brady for years. The time from snap to release, getting it out of your hands quickly. You know, you could have the best pass rush in the league, but if you can't get home because the ball's already out of the quarterback's hands, it's not going to do you any good. Most certainly not. And we now continue to a quarterback that I personally believe you cannot sleep on as the first overall pick, given some intel that's come out in recent days and months. And he is the 2017 Heisman Trophy winner, Baker Mayfield. And many, at least on draft Twitter, have him either the first or second quarterback on their boards. And Mayfield does check a lot of boxes with his leadership, his charisma, his accuracy, anticipation, and football intelligence. People were raving about his football intelligence at the Combine, according to reports. But however, he doesn't have prototypical quarterback height, just a shade over six feet tall. He didn't often have to place the ball in tight windows at Oklahoma. He lacks wow physical traits, and many believe he will be overly scheme-dependent in the NFL. Based on your film study of Baker Mayfield, where does his ceiling and floor exist at the pro level? Well, I think in terms of a ceiling, if he's in the right offensive system, this is a guy that can have a you know eight, ten year, you know, you know, mid to upper level tier type quarterback. You know, this is the type of guy that can develop into that. Floor is going to be a tricky one with him because again, he is somewhat scheme. I don't want to say limited, but you know, he's somewhat narrow path in terms of a schematic fit for him because he's not somebody that's going to come in and run sort of a, a vertical type passing game, like something that Bruce Arians would dial up, like an Eric Coriel type vertical passing game. That's not the best fit for him. While he does have the arm strength and the ability to make those sort of throws, I think people have been sort of sleeping on his velocity and his arm talent. You know, I don't think he fits that. I think he fits more of a West Coast slash spread type offense, similar to what we saw the Jets running last year. And I think that's sort of the path forward for him. You know, I think the issues with Mayfield, again, similar to Rosen in, the, in a sense, stem from more sort of off the field and tangible type stuff. Can he be the face of the franchise? Can he, is he mature enough? We've heard the, the Johnny Manziel comparison throw it around. But to me, that all comes from the fact that Baker Mayfield seems to be that ultimate competitor. He's a guy that is a, basically a double walk-on. Walked on at Texas Tech, then walked on again at Oklahoma. And he's got that chip on his shoulder. And we heard people, you know, other Oklahoma players talk about it at the Combine out in Indianapolis where he has that chip on his shoulder and it's never going to go away. And I wrote, you know, again, not to bring up Tom Brady too much, but I sort of compared him to Tom Brady in that sense because Tom Brady, arguably the greatest quarterback of all time, but he will still tell you that he was picked 199. He will still tell you that he was drafted in the sixth round. I mean, I saw interviews with him back in 2015 where he's talking about that. It's the same thing with Baker. He's got that sort of, I was a walk-on. Nobody believed in me. You know, we see the, you know, him carrying around that pretender sign because of something Lee Corso said. He will find the slightest perceived or real sort of slight imaginable and use that as fuel for him. So I think he's just an ultra, ultra, ultra competitive guy. And so when I look at Baker Mayfield, I think if you get him in the right offense, he can do the things that you need to do to be successful in the NFL. I'm not as worried about the height because, again, like he pointed out in Indianapolis, he was behind Orlando Brown. And I didn't see a ton of tipped passes at the line of scrimmage, which you would probably expect. And there were times when, you know, he just found throwing lanes. That's what, as a small quarterback myself back when I played, you just have to be adept at finding those throwing lanes and finding those little alleys in the protection up front to throw the football. If you have to move out of the pocket, he can do that. He's athletic enough. Again, similar to Rosen, he's not going to wow you with his athletic ability but athletic enough to keep defenses honest extend plays and you know i think he has a pretty high ceiling if he's in the right offense 
I think he has a pretty high ceiling in the right scheme as well. And you talked about Baker Mayfield's personality, and that is kind of a double-edged sword. With that chip on his shoulder side of his personality, that will endear him to a lot of teams. But uh, him coming across cocky in sort of ways, and plus his uh, off-the-field incidents with the arrest and stuff, will uh, not impress teams and make them hesitant. So do you think, will Baker Mayfield's personality drop him out of the top 10 or help him rise into the top 5? You know, I sort of look at six as a sweet spot for him, you know, and and I, I think if the Jets are on the on the clock at six and he's on the board, I think that's the ideal fit because you look at, you know, the offense that the Jets were running last year under John Morton, who obviously no longer their offensive coordinator, but it was very sort of that mesh of air raid and West Coast, which I think would be the ideal fit for Baker Mayfield. Now, Bates, the new offensive coordinator, he's more rooted in the traditional West Coast offense. He comes from that John Gruden, you know, Mike Shanahan coaching tree, which is more West Coast in the traditional sense. A lot of boot action and stuff like that, which I think would be an okay fit. But it would still, if they have those sort of similar concepts that they ran last year, that would be the perfect marriage. And so I think six is the perfect spot for him. That's where I expect to see him go off the board. Definitely won't fall past the Jets at six, I could tell you that. And uh, the Jets or Broncos or whoever might have to trade up to three or two even to get Mayfield, but uh, that's for another show. And moving on now to arguably the most quintessential boomer bust prospect in this quarterback class, and that is Josh Allen. Not only was his production in 2017 underwhelming, he finished his college career with an alarming 56.2% completion rate. And even worse, that was his rate in a non-Power 5 conference, the Mountain West specifically, and history shows that accuracy issues are unlikely to get fixed at the pro level. But still, because of his unique blend of size, athleticism, and arm strength, the belief around the league is he will still be a top 10 pick, if not a top 5 or 6 pick. Why do you think NFL decision makers are much higher on Josh Allen than those of us in the draft Twitter world? Well, I, I think it's easy to see why, David. It's the fact that, you know, when we were down in Mobile, he could make those splash throws. He can do things with his arm that other people cannot in this class. He can throw it, you know, 75 yards on the fly. The difference in velocity even with a guy like Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen who have, you know, solid NFL-type arms who are in the upper tier of velocity in this draft class, it's you can still tell the difference between Allen and those two guys. And then when you get deeper into this class, like between, you know, an Allen and a Mason Rudolph or a Kyle Laletta, you can definitely tell the difference between those guys throwing the football. And so people will see the type of splash throws that he can make and say, oh, well, I can turn that into a quarterback. I can make that work in the NFL. They will talk themselves into that. But, you know, I've had a couple of strange comparisons with, with for Josh Allen. I've compared him to Nuke Lelouch from Bull Durham because he's got the million-dollar arm, but he needs to work on everything else. And I've now settled, David, on he's the guy that can go out and win lawn drive contests. He can hit the ball off the tee 495 yards right down the middle, just bombs the ball all over the place. You see him on ESPN late night or on Saturday afternoons winning those long drive contests. But then you take him and try to make him play the Masters. And he's going to go out and shoot 120 because you only pulled the driver three or four times out of the bag in a round. But then what do you have to use? You know, short irons or your wedges or anything else. It's an adventure. And he's spraying the ball all over the place. And that's the same thing with Josh Allen. Everything is a fastball to him. Every sort of plan B for him is I'm going to roll to my right and throw the ball as hard and as fast and as long as I can. 
But whenever he has to use touch, time, and anticipation, all the other things that quarterbacks need to do, that's when it gets to be a little bit more of an adventure. And I was hoping to see it this year on film because that was a question mark I had in him. Can he learn the off-speed stuff? Can he learn to dial it down and throw the football and be a passer and things like that? Didn't really see it develop on tape. Even down in Mobile, anytime he was trying to throw a corner out or use that touch or timing, it just wasn't quite there. That's going to be the question mark for him. Can he develop it in the NFL? And my fear with him is that because of the things he can do, because of the size and the athleticism, the fact that coaches will talk themselves into the fact they can develop him, he's going to get pushed up the board. He's going to go early to a team that's going to want to play him early. My hope for him would be that he falls, that he falls to a team like, the Ravens in the first round or the Chargers or the Patriots or the Steelers where they don't have to play him right away, where he could take some time to season because in that environment, I think he could develop and refine what he needs to refine and go on and have an extremely successful career and perhaps meet that ceiling that he has. But my fear is if he gets pushed up the board, there's a different set of expectations. He's going to be asked to see the field much sooner than he's going to be ready for. And that's when I don't think he's going to be in the right environment to develop. I want to see the kid have success because Let's face it, you know, this time last year, he was talked about as a top five pick. I mean, when people were doing mock drafts, they were saying if he came out last year, he'd go in the top five. He stayed for his, you know, last year at Wyoming. He had all the sort of draft Twitter and football evaluation lights and eyes upon him. Didn't have the season that people wanted him to have or hoped that he would have. And now he's sort of in this position where people think he could be successful. People want him to be successful, but he's been nitpicked to death. And it looks like it could end badly in the wrong spot. I, I hope he falls. That would be the ideal situation for all alternately. You know, we see a situation like Kansas City last year where a team that doesn't need a quarterback right away says, look, we're going to go get him. And even if he doesn't play a down for us this year, we're going to develop in the right way. And then if we want to turn the keys over to him in 2019, great. But we're going to handle this the right way. That would be the ideal situation for him to me. I completely agree, Mark. The best scenario for Josh Allen, as many say, if not the vast majority say, is for him to go to a place where he could sit and learn for a year or two and uh, then get his feet wet. And I think that would be um, the best uh, thing he could ask for. And Baker Mayfield isn't the only Heisman winner in this quarterback crop. Lamar Jackson, who won the Heisman Trophy in 2016, is an intriguing prospect himself. Many have compared him to Michael Vick, and it can be argued that if Vick found success in the NFL, so can Lamar Jackson. But however, since as early as last fall, many in the draft community were suggesting he switch to wide receiver at the pro level. And as was reported by Peter Schrager a week ago, some teams even wanted him to participate in wide receiver drills at the Combine. Why do you think this idea of Lamar Jackson becoming a wide receiver came to be, and do you think he has a permanent home under center in the NFL? Yeah, David. And so the second question first, I do think he has a permanent center, as a permanent position um, as a quarterback under center in the NFL. And I've had that belief for a long time now. I've written about it a, a bunch of times, talked about it a ton. Now, I think, you know, and then this is a recent piece that I did on him. I sort of took the arguments that people are using to say that he should be a wide receiver and kind of turn them around a bit because – one of the main arguments, and I think it's the main argument that people are using, is he's so explosive with the football on his hands, particularly when he gets out into space. When he gets outside the pocket as a runner sometimes or as a scrambler, the ability to change direction on the fly, to make defenders move, to make defenders miss, 
to extend plays with his legs. It's unparalleled in this class. And so sometimes people see that and think, look, let's get him out there as much as we can. He's just got such talent with the ball in his hands, out in space. Let's use that as much as we can. And we've almost, in a sense, allowed that trait, that explosiveness as a runner to work against him when viewing him as a quarterback. And the way I view it is, there were times on film where he would get blitzed either on the inside or off the edge. There would be guys on block. There would be mistakes up front. And his pure athletic ability, was, which is unparalleled in this class, enabled him to turn those plays, which should have been losses of 7, 8, 9, 10 yards, into first down runs because he has the ability to mask deficiencies and mistakes up front. That's number one. And number two is he has the athletic ability to move around, slide, and just get the ball out in a split second while in the pocket. People point to his mechanics in the upper body and say, well, he throws it more by his wrist, with his wrist, release point by his ear. It's an awkward release. It's not the way it should be. That's going to get him to trouble. But I view that as a positive because with a guy like, say, Sam Darnold, you know, he's got that loopy delivery. Yeah, he still gets the ball out fast, but he's got that loop to it. Lamar Jackson can just reset his feet and throw in a split second in the blink of an eye. And that's a positive as well. And I broke down some plays on a piece recently where he got the pat, he had a free rusher in his face. The ball was out of his hands so quickly. The guy puts his arm up to block it, and it was in the receiver's hands once his arm got up. That's how fast he got it past him. So Lamar Jackson is a talented quarterback. We need to stop using his athleticism against him by saying he should move to wide receiver, realize that what he can do from an athletic profile standpoint enables him to be the quarterback that he is. I completely agree 100%. And it's not just uh, those uh, big five quarterbacks that are going to get a lot of discussion in the months ahead. There's another quarterback that could be rising up draft boards around this league, and that is Richmond's Kyle Oletta, who put on a show at the Senior Bowl. And a few weeks ago in his weekly Monday column, Peter King illustrated some of the striking similarities between Lawletta and Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of their measurables, their Division I AA experience, and their completion percentages. Does the tape justify the Lawletta garoppolo comparison as well? I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that the tape justifies it as much as the other sort of intangibles sort of justify that comparison. I think, you know, and the team that we've heard bandied about a ton is New England. And I can understand it from a couple of standpoints. We saw Loletta at the Combine throw up a pretty good three cone. I think it was 6.7 three cone or something like four points. I forget what it was, but it was a good three cone. And that's what the Patriots like to see. We've also heard that Loletta in, you know, reading about him, also getting a chance to talk to him down in Mobile, play for four different offensive coordinators, has a really good understanding of pass concepts and offensive concepts. So he seems to be a smart kid. And he has a lacrosse background you know he played it in high school thought he might play it in college a lot of his family members played it and we know bill belichick has a soft spot for lacrosse players because he loved playing it himself and we all know chris hogan for example played it in college and now he's a wide receiver for the new england patriots and so i can understand why people are starting to make this little garoppolo laletta patriots type of connection the thing with with Lalletta that's interesting is we're starting to get the sense now that the main knock on him is the lack of arm strength, the lack of velocity. This is something that you mentioned Lance Zerline. This is Zerline's biggest knock on him. He doesn't have the velocity sort of make those big NFL type splash throws. But the thing to remember is his arm strength is going to be perfectly fine and sufficient for 90% of what NFL teams are going to be asking him to do. That's number one. And number two is 
I don't think he's somebody you expect to start day one as a rookie. I think he's somebody you draft with the expectation, like, for example, New England, that he's going to take over in two to three years. And you'd hope that by then in an NFL strength and conditioning program and, you know, doing some more work and development and just growth, that he's going to have a little bit of a more zip on the football by the time he starts. And similar to Tom Brady. Brady didn't have a cannon coming out of the out of out of Michigan, but he developed enough arm strength and velocity where he could run an NFL offense. And so that's something to remember with Kyle Lalletta. He's somebody that I think when you get into day two, when you get into, you know, the middle of the second round, that's probably when he might come off the board because teams aren't quarterbacks, these, you know, top five guys, and then if you want to include Mason Rudolph, so say top six, they're gonna get pushed up the board, I think. And so there's going to be a team like somewhere in the middle of the second round that thinks, look, we don't want to miss out on this guy. We don't want to miss out on our developmental quarterbacks. We're going to go get them now. Quarterbacks always get pushed up the board. And I think that's going to happen both at the top with some of these guys, as well as some guys who have in that middle tier, including Kyle Laletta. I completely agree as well. And he is Mark Schofield, quarterback guru extraordinaire. You can find his work at InsideThePylon.com. If you want to talk about quarterbacks or want to learn about quarterbacks, you go to Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield and check out his work at InsideThePylon.com. Mark, it was beyond a pleasure to have you share your expertise and knowledge with us here tonight. But we got one more question uh, before you go. Uh, You kind of were alluding to some of these potential team fits for these prospects, but let's... uh, do a recap and uh, talk about the team fits that weren't mentioned. So what are the best team fits for Sam Darnold? You know, I think from Darnold for a good fit for him, I think, you know, if we sort of come in with the expectation that Cleveland's going to address quarterback, uh, as much as Darnold might not be my favorite guy in this class, I like some guys more. I think Cleveland would be a good destination because, you know, if you have, Deshaun Kaiser, if they keep him on the roster, as you alluded to, it looks like the A.J. McCarron deal might happen. He might not have to play right away, but I think with the addition of Todd Haley, you've got now an offensive-minded head coach and a very skilled offensive coordinator, although Steelers fans might disagree. I think Haley is a good offensive mind, more of a vertical pass and attack approach, but Haley has said he will tailor his offense to what the quarterback's skill set is. I think that's a good environment for Sam Darnold. I agree, and what about the best fit for Josh Rosen? For me, I think Rosen, you know, if the expectation is Rosen is going to play quickly, you know, I think from a schematic standpoint, he can fit pretty much anywhere. But I wouldn't mind seeing Rosen in an environment like, let's say Denver misses out on the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes and they decide not to sign Case Keenum. I think Rosen will be a pretty good fit in that offense. I think, you know, Denver will be a good environment for him because he could come in and play right away. You're going to have weapons around him. They still have a pretty solid defense, you know, and they wouldn't have to make a lot of sort of financial salary cap type moves if they decide to stay pat and, you know, or move up a spot or two and draft Josh Rosen. So I think that would be a good fit. Oh, as a Broncos fan, I'm definitely hoping they find some way to trade up for him, even if they sign uh, Case Keenum. And uh, for the record, uh, it is expected Keenum, if he does sign with Denver, they want him on a Glennon-type contract. So they'll be in his market nonetheless, just to let our listeners know. And you mentioned the Jets as a good fit for Baker Mayfield. What about some other teams? You know, uh, another sort of good spot for Baker, and I'm not sure that this would end up happening, um, 
and I sort of would lump Lamar Jackson here in, in, in the same sort of bucket, would be the New Orleans Saints. Um, because, again, you've got an offensive-minded head coach in Sean Payton. They've had a quarterback who's somewhat undersized in Drew Brees. They do a lot of West Coast slash, you know, spread-type, hybrid-type stuff. You know, Brees threw, I think, 137 passes behind the line of scrimmage last year. That's a, a big chunk of his throws behind the line of scrimmage, so you can see some sort of schematic similarity. So I think those would be good fits. So the Jets, as well as the New Orleans Saints, a little bit later, if you know Sean Payton decides, look, we got to go get our next Drew Brees. The Saints would be perfect for Baker as well. I agree. And aside from the Steelers, Chargers, and Ravens, any other potential good fits for Josh Allen? Well, you know, surprisingly enough, I'd say Cleveland. You know, and while I wouldn't want to see him play right away, I'd like to see him sit the entire year if possible. You know, the 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 idea of you know, Josh Allen learned under Todd Haley, learned under Hugh Jackson, although I have some issues with how Hugh Jackson handled Deshaun Kaiser. I think, you know, Todd Haley wants to be a more vertical-based pass in offense. That's kind of the way he wants to go as an offensive coordinator. That's where he tried to get the Steelers to go a little bit last year. That would be a good fit, obviously, for what Allen brings to the table with that power arm, the ability to throw downfield with accuracy at times, the ability to push the ball vertically. And so I think that would be a good fit. You know, again, ideally, he's, he falls, he sits. You know, maybe Arizona at 15, you know, or if they have to move up to get him, that could make sense too. But those are some scenarios I think could work out for Josh Allen. I completely agree. And since the Cardinals plan on bringing in a veteran or two, Arizona could be a very good place for Josh Allen. And how about Lamar Jackson? Well, I think, you know, a, a dream scenario for me, again, I sort of, I will say this is with some Patriots colored glasses on, as I am a Boston guy, would be to see Lamar Jackson fall to 31 and New England decide, hey, you know, this guy fell into our lap. We're not going to have to play him right away. Let's get him in. You know, we can slowly start to build our offense of the future around what we think Lamar Jackson will be as a quarterback because he wouldn't have to play right away. I think it would be a good spot for him. I think Josh McDaniels would be a smart offensive mind, a younger offensive mind who could build an offense tailored to Lamar Jackson's skill set. You know, I think the Jets would be a good fit, again, if they go into the sort of that West Coast air raid hybrid type thing. Like I said, New Orleans would be a good spot as well. But I think, you know, New England, that would be an interesting one. It most certainly would be. And aside from the Patriots, uh, what are some other good fits for Kyle Oletta? You know, I, I think if Denver signs Kadem and decides we're going to wait, you know, we're going to wait on a quarterback, I think, you know, Loletta will be a good fit for some of what they've done from a schematic standpoint. I think the Jets, if they decide they're going to wait on a quarterback, they would be a good fit because, again, Loletta, I think, is tailored to that sort of West Coast traditional West Coast offense under Gruden and Chang, which I think Jeremy Bates is going to be running. Um, I, again, I, I think the Patriots are a really good fit because he's not something that's going to have to play right away. You know, other, other, you know, the Ravens, you know, similarly, they've done a lot of sort of West Coast stuff over the past couple of years, a lot of shallow passing concepts, a lot of quick game passing stuff with Joe Flacco. If they want to address quarterbacks, say something or in that day two range, the Ravens would be a good fit as well. And moving on to two other quarterbacks we haven't mentioned yet. How about Mason Rudolph of Oklahoma State? Mason Rudolph is an interesting player because, you know, when I watched him, I always sort of got came away like, okay, like he's good. You know, I think he's got a nice floor. 
I'm not so sure how much more development he's going to do beyond that. So he might be someone that has that sort of eight to 10 year career as a long-term backup spot starter, but I don't know if he's going to grow beyond that. Now he might, there are some things that he does really well. I think he throws with anticipation really well. He's one of these quarterbacks that can identify advantages pre-snap and exploit them post-snap. And so I look at some of the teams we talked about, you know, potentially for, for teams like Josh Allen to fall to, where he could sit and learn a bit. I think it's a similar sort of environment for Mason Rudolph. I think, you know, Chargers would be a good fit. The Ravens would be a good fit. The Steelers would be a good fit because I think that he's somebody who could use a little bit of development. I'm not sure he's ready to start right now, but I could see him going on and having a nice long career in the NFL. And last but not least, this is a guy who a mutual friend of ours really likes, Mike White of Western Kentucky. Yeah, Mike White's a really interesting prospect. And I know, you know, Eric Galco is really high on him. I know some other people really like him. You know, he's somebody that I had some question marks, you know, when I I studied him last summer from a a process and speed standpoint. I wanted to see some improvement there. And to his credit, I did. You know, I think, you know, in terms of watching all these quarterbacks and watching so many games on these guys, one of my favorite games to watch was his regular season finale against Middle Tennessee State because MTSU was running a very sort of hybrid 3-3-5 defense. They were showing him a lot of different looks up front, a lot of different blitz schemes and a lot of different stunt packages. So he had to do a lot of diagnosis, both pre and pro snap. And I really liked what he did from a mental standpoint in that game. And so some some teams where I think you know, I mocked him to the Vikings, you know, depending on how they sort of sort out their quarterback fit, you know, how they figure out how they're going to, you know, what they're doing with Bridgewater, what they're doing with, you know, Keenum and all those guys. But I think that would be a good sort of environment for him. You know, I think Arizona might be a good fit if they decide to, you know, sign a veteran and then get a rookie maybe on day two, you know, and we haven't talked about the Dolphins, but they probably want to bring in some competition for Tannehill if they sit pat with him. And so I think, you know, that would be a good spot for him as well. Mark Schofield, ladies and gentlemen, of InsideThePineLine.com. Tonight, he showed you why he is one of the best guys to talk about when it comes to football, especially quarterbacks. Mark, it's been an honor having you on, and we hope to do it sometime again very, very soon. David, thank you so much for having me on again. First of all, incredible intro. Again, i got to give you credit for that again with the Churchill quote. Like I said, it was great seeing you down in Mobile at Saucy Q's. Those who know, they know about Saucy Q's. Those who don't, if you're ever in the Mobile area, you've got to check out Saucy Q's. But David, man, thank you so much for having me on. Had a blast and hope to talk to you again soon. We hope to have you back again as well, Mark. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch with D. Crom. But we will be back with more this week, so stay tuned. Also, be sure to check out the episode archive, including all the interviews I conducted at the Senior Bowl, as well as an up-to-date blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com sportscrunch so not only we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Mark, especially especially since there's never, never an off-season for talking football. For Mark Schofield, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.